ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, welcome to Tap Tuesday, brought to you by Titanium Archery Products. Dedicated archers deserve truly elite products that provide all of the performance attributes that they demand, and that's exactly what Tap delivers. This week, I sit down with Mark Willis of Flexmark Elk Calls. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Mark Willis of Flexmark Elk Calls. Mark, good evening. I appreciate you, you taking. Guy? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you taking your time to sit down with me and give us a little uh, of your story and talk about Flexmark. Yeah, super excited. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely, man. So why don't we jump right in? Why don't you give us an intro and tell us a little bit about yourself? Whew. Well, I'm. You know, I live on the eastern side of of Idaho. I wasn't always, you know, from Idaho. Came from Oregon, and uh, honestly. I was fleeing a few things in Oregon, um, loved Oregon, but also loved a lot of, a lot of parts of, of Idaho. And I was actually born in Idaho Falls. So I kind of felt like I was getting back to my roots a little bit by moving out here, uh, on the Eastern side of Idaho. I'm in a little town called Rigby and, uh, gosh, my story is kind of interesting. I didn't grow up as a hunter. I did grow out. I, you know, I did grow up in the outdoors, but over in Oregon, we were more fishermen, you know, salmon and steelhead. And I was on the banks of the rivers, you know, throwing level wines and Abu Garcia's, you know, at, uh, you know, eight years old, nine years old, catching steelhead over there and stuff. So that was kind of my background until, you know, we decided to take the plunge and move to Idaho. And one of the reasons why I wanted to move out here was, you know, to become and to start this hobby that seemed so, so fun of, of hunting even though my family had never been into it, I, I really wanted to. So we came out to Idaho in 2010 and uh, I think I was 33 when I had my first hunting season ever. So it just goes to show you, you don't have to be born, you know, in this lifestyle, you know, to enjoy the sport and 
the experience of hunting. And if I were to tell anybody anything, that's kind of what I'd hope that they can get is, you know, if it sounds fun, give it, give it a try. It's not all about the trophies and, and the big bowls and the big bucks. It's just about the total and the complete experience. Absolutely, man. Couldn't agree more with that. So what trips your trigger out there, man? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, uh, how I got into archery hunting specifically was I went back to visit my brother in Oregon with my family in uh, 2015 in the spring in April. He had a bow over there and I picked it up for the first time and we started shooting out in his backyard. He had a little small acreage over there in, uh, in Almsville, Oregon. And he also had a bunch of DVDs lying around from born and raised outdoors. I'm sure you've heard of them. And, uh, that is how I came to know the sport of archery is through picking up that bow in 2015 and watching those DVDs from born and raised outdoors. And those guys were phenomenal. I couldn't, it was, it was awesome. And the only kind you know, I hunted deer up in, you know, from 2011 to 2015, uh, took one buck. So I wasn't ever very successful. But I love to call coyotes. And me and my hunting buddy and my brother, we did a lot of coyote hunting out here in, in eastern Idaho. And as I watched those DVDs from Born and Raised Outdoors, I was like, hey, you know what? I do that all the time with coyotes. I can do this. You know, and me and my hunting buddy get together and I said, Logan, we can do this. It's the same, it's the same concepts. And so that's what's so fun about hunting in general, but specifically about archery hunting is that, uh, it's that sort of exhilaration and the thrill that you don't really get from other types of hunting when you actually can start imitating the sound of a big game, enormous animal like that and calling it in and, and, and tricking it, you know, to come in and get some or to show his dominance or whatever. That is a truly phenomenal and amazing experience with nature. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I have uh I have a sickness. <laughs> I have I have an absolute sickness, man. And and ever since I started down this road with elk, I cannot absolutely cannot switch it off. It is it's just insane. You know, you almost yeah. find yourself you almost find yourself like a uh what do they call it? I'm gonna call it a, a functioning alcoholic. I mean that sounds corny as hell but man oh man uh, yeah so the funny thing is though and, and i guess i would say to any of your listeners who are listening and and they're new bow hunters they or they haven't been successful yet holy cow it takes time and i cannot tell you maybe you experienced the same thing but in 2015 one it was really successful that's another story maybe we'll get into that later i did arrow a bull and never recovered it and it was like the saddest experience of my hunting life and I uh, learned a lot from it. And hopefully I don't get emotional because I don't want to cry on this podcast <laughs> in front of thousands of people, you know. But, you know, you, you put your blood, sweat, and tears into being out there hiking the mountain and hiking the hills and, and doing things that other people aren't willing to do. And you beat yourself. You beat yourself. You hike your tail off. You exert your muscles to their maximum. And it's so easy when you do that year after year. It's so easy to get discouraged with archery hunting. And 
I experienced that, you know, after, after having some success, but not harvesting in 2015, 2016, I gave up early because I was just dead tired, you know, and I was of the mentality that I needed to be out there giving it 110% every day. And it's so easy to get discouraged. But the funny thing is, and guy, I don't know if you're the same, but I'll bet you almost every archery hunter out there is like me. You give even those seasons when you're unsuccessful, you, uh, you tell yourself, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? I am never hunting, never bow hunting again. And then a week goes by after the season ends and you cannot help but to think about next year's archery hunts, you know, and what you, what you learn, the mistakes you made and how excited you are to get out there and scout again and take home, you know, whatever it is that you're after and to harvest it. It's just, it's a phenomenal thing and it's easy to get discouraged, but, uh, that there's something that draws you back every year, even when you're not successful. And that's certainly the way it's been for me. So I, I kind of share that same addiction. And especially since I've, you know, been making these flex mark elk calls, you know, my wife has a little, has to have a little bit of patience with me, as I, <laughs> you know, like many other hunters and huntresses out there in the back country, trying to scout and do the things you have to do to be successful. So you, you brought up some things there. So I know exactly how that feels, man, arrowable and uh, not recover it. Um, you could check it out on my YouTube channel. Um, that is that is the worst feeling I have ever felt uh, in the field. I mean, it was uh, it's horrible, man. You know, just that long mm -hmm. search. Um, you're miserable, right? You're you're you know, you place I, my shot was great. Um a little higher than I would have liked, but it was a good shot. It was a lethal shot. I know it was a lethal shot. I'll let you watch the video for that. Um, but yeah, the worst feeling ever. Um, and, and you know, talking about what you put yourself through and beating yourself out there. I think that is, for a lot of us, what really draws us. One of the main reasons that draws us out there, right, is just, is just beating yourself. Being able to get on that animal's level. Um, and that sense of accomplishment when you do it. And, and sometimes, you know, and you said unsuccessful, um, my opinion of, of success and unsuccessful, right? And, and it goes into a cliche and some guys will disagree. But if to me, if you're out there and you're beating yourself and you're putting everything you have into it and you have some takeaway, whether, you know, you notched a tag or not, in my opinion, I'm successful, man. There's times where I'll blow a shot or something. And I'll laugh at myself, but I'll walk away with that lesson. And the next time I'm even better for it, you know? Yeah, I hear you. So how did, uh, how did 2018 look for you? So it's funny, uh, 2018, I actually harvested my first elk ever with a rifle or a bow. And it was, it was one of those truly amazing hunts that, that will never leave your memory. And here again, I hope I don't cry. I'm, I will not cry for your thousands of listeners, <laughs> but there is something emotional for a lot of guys and a lot of gals about the archery hunt. Right. Um, and this one was particularly that way for me because my, my father passed away in uh, 2003. And so you know, I was off to college. I served a, a two-year mission for my church right after high school, gone for four years at college. And I come home and, and he passes away soon thereafter. So I didn't really get much time with my dad after high school. And so he passes away unexpectedly. 
And then last year of 2018 was the 15 year anniversary of his passing. And uh, hold it back, hold it back, Willis. So, <laughs> I mean, I had an unbelievable amount of internal drive and dedication to go out and succeed last year. You know, I got all excited like I always did. Um, but I had this inner commitment where you tell yourself, I don't care what happens. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care, you know, what other obstacles come in my way. I am going to be successful this year. And his passing was, is always, you know, it's always during the first week of the archery hunt out here, the first week of September. So every time I'm out here on this archery hunt, I'm always, I'm always in, out in that first, first week of the month. And so his memory is always there as I, as I try to be successful and be in the outdoors. Um, and so last year, the first day, which was September 4th that we were out there, I had, a, I had a spike lay down at my feet at seven yards. It was incredible. Um, it was the first day I don't normally pass on, on animals guy. I'm not, I know this story's getting somewhere, right? You're asking about 2018 and how it went. <laughs> no, no, keep going, man. I love it. But, you know, I'm sharing sort of my perspective and my worldview with you. And I don't pass on animals very often. I mean, one, I haven't shot that many. I've only been hunting for, you know, since 2011. I haven't harvested that many animals. And for me, again, it's not about having the six by six fully mature bull. I know for some guys it is. And I don't hold anything against anybody for whatever it is that they want out of a hunt. But for me, I just, I just need that experience. And I want that experience. But I decided this time, since this guy barely had, you know, three inch nubbins or so, I just decided the first day of, you know, a four day hunt, I was going to pass. So this, this spike beds down at seven yards, all on video <laughs> on my guys. channel. And it was just a phenomenal, right? And, and who wouldn't want, as a bow hunter, who wouldn't go crazy if you told them that you had a bull or, a, or an elk bed down at seven yards and you just sat and watched it happen on video, you know? And, but it wasn't, I just wanted to give it a little bit more time. I wanted the chance to shoot, to shoot a bull. Um, and so I held out day two. Uh, unsuccessful in the morning, didn't see a whole lot of activity, didn't see a lot of elk, but we were on the mountain in the evening and we decided to walk the lip of, of this, of this big mountain on the way back to the vehicle. We probably had a couple miles left to get back to the vehicle. We were going to walk this lip of the, the cliff on this tree line and come back. And so all of a sudden we hear, we hear this you know, big game activity. It sounds like a, <clears throat> sounds like an elk down below in the trees, right? Sure enough, we, we spot this bull down there. And, uh, so we edged down this little, uh, you know, steep hillside towards seeing if we could get, see if we get some eyes on him. We could see, you know, the movement down there and he was just sort of thrashing around a little bit. And, uh, anyway, he sees us and we spook him. And that's a horrible feeling. And that hadn't happened to me very often up until this point where you spook the bull, you know, how your heart just drops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're like, Oh my gosh, this is what my one opportunity, you know? And so we sort of, you know, we huddled my buddy and I, Logan, we huddled together and we came up with this plan and sent him a little bit back up the mountain about 40 yards and had him start bugling. 
and thrashing around and breaking branches and stomping around. And the funniest and coolest thing was that this bull, after having run off, he hung around just enough because he was starting to get curious in my in my buddy's sounds and calls that he was making and the activity that my that my buddy was doing up on the up on the hill 40, 50 yards up ahead. Anyway, this bull actually comes back up the mountain. And so we you just tell me when when I'm getting boring. No, guy, keep going, okay? man. We're good. <laughs> so we're playing literally this game of cat and mouse. And you always, you know, if you watch YouTube videos or or whatever else, it always seems to be perfect, right? This bull comes in and they've got a professional camera crew out there ready to go and professional photographers, expensive equipment and this and that. Um, well, I just it's just me and my buddy. And uh, it's not always picture perfect, but this bull comes back and we play this game of cat and mouse and none of that cat and mouse is on film. But we're hopping back and forth between meadows. He's trying to get eyes on my calling buddy. And I'm trying to get eyes on him and a clear shot. Can't do it. it. I mean, eventually the bull sort of skips down this, you know, skips down this little coulee and on the other side of the ridge, about hundred yards away. And my buddy continues to enter, entertain him with some bugles and chuckles. And we're not giving up on this thing. However, the wind is absolutely horrible, but there's no option, right? I don't know. If, have you ever been in that situation where you have no other option on, on, on an animal? You just got to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, well, I won't, I was going to talk about going to the bathroom in the woods when you just got to go, you just got to go. But there was only one option and the wind was blowing straight down this little draw straight to this bowl. And we'd been hiking, you know, for two days. I stunk. I just know I stunk. And, uh, so I had this pretty maiden call with me. And so I'm trying to, you know, blow a few cow calls to cover my sound and scent or whatnot. And, uh, I pop into this grove of trees, um, just upwind from this bull. And this part is on video. You just see this bull. He's, a, he's not the, a big bull. He's a little four by five, but you just see his nose in the air. He's sniffing around. I mean, he smells me. He just not quite sure what's going on. Cause I've been cow calling my buddies chuckling across the coulee and, he just doesn't know what to do. He's a young bull. So anyway, I was able to sneak up on him and get a shot at 45 yards. And that's how I harvested that first bull. What was the freak out like after? Well, it was, it was kind of a delayed reaction because, again, this was my first it was my first time hitting one. But I didn't know if I had hit it. And it was 45 yards away. The funny thing is, is you get your heart going in the moment and, and you've been hiking and, and you're sweaty and you're tired. I, I don't know if you've ever done this before. I have, obviously. I start to draw back on this bull. And on the drawback, I nicked the release. Uh, and so I get this little dinker arrow that flies about 30 yards and lands probably 20 yards shy. <laughs> And I thought, oh, he's gone. my freaking goodness. Yeah, and he was gone. And then my buddy keeps bugling and chuckling, and he comes back in. Was, I needed a three-yard window to shoot. And this bull, it was just a phenomenal experience. He, he comes back enough into this and turns one more step broadside to where I can take the shot at 45 yards. I take the shot. But even then, I didn't know that I hit him. It's hard to tell at 45 yards. And, you know, 
about sundown at that time. And, but we did find blood and, uh, but 2015 was haunting me in my mind and anybody who's ever, you know, hit an elk or an animal and had to track it and didn't hit it well, that sticks in your, in your mind and in your heart is your, it weighs you as you're wondering, you know, did I get a good hit? Did I, is he going to be down? Anyway, so we waited and started tracking blood and it was dark. And then all of a sudden my buddy, you know, we probably only went four or 500 yards, but it had turned dark and I was literally out there with my cell phone tracking blood and, uh, Ill Ill prepared in that aspect. But my buddy shines the light down about 30 yards down the mountain. And we eventually, there's a bull on the ground and I couldn't believe it. It was, it was an emotional moment, quite frankly. So it wasn't really a freak out because I knew that the day had drawn to a close and it was September 5th. And it was the day that my dad had passed away 15 years ago. And so it was just rather than that freak out, it was more of the quiet, somber in the moment camera chat with how much that hunt meant to me and what it meant to harvest my first elk on my dad's 15 year anniversary. And so it was just, it was one of those surreal experiences from start to finish with how it played out and calling that bull back up the hill, the cat and mouse and the tracking in the dark. It, it was, it was one of those experiences that you don't forget that really impacts you going, you know, going forward. And and with the culmination of the first bull and your dad's anniversary, I don't know if you'll ever replace that. That, that is irreplaceable in my opinion. No, I mean, it really is. And I could, I could, I could take a big mature six by six this year for all I know, but there isn't anything that's ever, ever going to compete and compare with the hunt that I had last year. Now, that doesn't mean that I get demotivated for this year or for next year, but it was just a sweet experience. And every hunt seems to be like that. Every hunt, you know, there's something out of the ordinary. There's something amazing. There's something horrible that happens, something extremely funny, but there's stuff like that that happens every, every single, single year. Time. And that's, yeah. And that's, that's what keeps me going for next year, even though I know it won't be as special. Who knows? Maybe I might harvest another one on September 5th, but, um, Last year, I really, really wanted it since hunting since 2015 and not having having harvested a bull before. You know, I just really wanted it. And so, no, we'll hopefully repeat something similar this year. Heck yeah. I mean, and I mean, I guess, you know, going all those years, you're, we consider ourselves unsuccessful, right? But there's, there's things we learn, you know, through all those steps, through all that, you know, air quote and failure. Um, mm-hmm. that brings that stuff full circle, man. I mean, we just, you up your game. And like you said, you just really, really wanted it. I mean, a lot of guys would have just, you know, thrown in the towel. Oh, he's not coming in. The wind is bad back out. Right. Yeah. Yep. But we kept after it and, uh, it was, it was phenomenal. So I said it earlier. Is there anything like elk hunting in your opinion? Cause for me, man, I, uh, as much as I love to go out and chase blacktails and mule deer here and the occasional pig, man, I, there's nothing like it for me. I, I, you know, like you said earlier, the vocalizations and being able to vocalize with them and, and, and trick them in, um, and hone your skills to get there, you know, to get on their level. Um, 
you you feel like there's anything like it? No, and I'll tell you I'll tell you why. And and again, I have I'm not some great world class hunter. I don't have the money to go after this state and this state and hunt this animal and this animal and you know, there's there's frankly there's nothing hanging on my wall either. Even my bowl last year is right on my table where I can pick it up when I want to um look at it close up. But uh I think that there's something special about elk hunting because it's different than than almost all the other big game hunts that you could go on, right? So you hunt mule deer with a bow or a rifle. You don't really have any interaction with that animal. Uh, you're probably shooting, you know, if you're a rifle. And, and I don't, again, I don't have anything against rifle hunting. I rifle hunt too. But what makes elk hunting so special is the, I, can't, I hate to use the word intimacy. <laughs> right. People get the wrong idea. Yeah. Um, Up close and personal. You know, yeah. There's, you don't get that. And you're not. I'm not talking to a mule deer at 300 yards when I pull the trigger. But with elk hunting, you really see everything up close, personal. You hear them come in. And for me, that 2015, I call it my rookie season. All I had done was watch videos, right? What else do you do to learn how to hunt? But you watch videos and you listen to people who do know what they're doing. And we went out on day one. We backpacked into this basin. On day one, I've got this, you know, I've got my elk calls. I've practiced my horrible bugling as best as I could with some inexpensive bugles because I'm always on a budget, you know, and sound pretty horrible. But I also had this Flexmark, you know, pretty made an elk call as well. And it was just a phenomenal experience because on day one, it's 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 around 11 o'clock. And we get into we get into a group of elk. First week of September, they're already you know herded up. There's bulls and cows in this group. And uh, we, my buddy's cow calling again, Logan. He's always there for me, right? Everybody needs a buddy like that. Um, hopefully, you have one of those guys. No, not so much. <laughs> what I, I actually, and and I'll I'll probably end up changing that. But I actually prefer to hunt solo like i enjoy the heck out of a hike in and camp time and a pack out but man there's something about being out there in my own head for me it's a lot of the personal part of it uh i I just enjoy the heck out of being out in the woods alone um yeah there's 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 something very cool to that and and again everybody's reasons are just as valid as anybody else's so but anyway, this, I'm, I'm, I'm beating around the bush guy, but there's this, this special thing about elk hunting, right? It's represented in that first day experience in my first year, my rookie year. And none of us had hunted elk before. There were three of us. And we get into this group of elk. And if we can do it, anybody can do it. And that's what I'd love to see is especially our youth today get more into the outdoors and in and, and doing things that are physical rather than staying inside and, and not socializing or playing on computers or video games or whatnot. But we start calling these, these, these cow calls and this, there's something about it. And, and it was represented when the, I called this five by five bull in my buddy, you know, about 30 yards behind me calls in this five by five and I'm on day one in my rookie year of archery hunting. And I got this nice five by five bull coming in and it was, it was tremendous, right? He came into 20 yards and he comes across and walks across this shale and you're sitting there crapping your pants, right? Like, (laughs) and he was so excited and and, and I'm not just trying to pump up my calls here. 
um, I mean, I guess I should, I should be right. I, I don't need to be embarrassed that they work, that they work well, but my buddy's blowing on the pretty maiden Flexmark elk call. And this bull, it's on film. It's on my website. It gets so, uh, excited. It starts running in. And this is day one, my rookie year, having never archery hunted ever. And, uh, this bull comes across the shale. It puts its heads down, ducking under these trees. It breaks branches on its way in. And then it sits there and it sees my buddy in the trail and he just stopped dead in his tracks. And he's just sitting there looking at now me and my buddy, we're having a stare down and I'm at full draw. And I was at full draw. I watched the video, I think for 30, 40 seconds, just waiting. And there's nothing like that, right? Where you can get that close to an animal and see its, its body, its antlers, its nose. And, and just, we had a stare down him and I, (laughs) and you don't get that in any other type of hunting, at least that I've done. And so that's why I love, love elk hunting for that type of moment. I don't even want to get going on that because it'll end up being about me and not, uh, Mark and flex Mark. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it is, I, I totally, totally relatable, man. Um, you know, you see that, especially in the morning, right? And, and if you get one close and he cracks off a bugle or, or he's chuckling and that, yeah. and you could just see it coming out of him in that morning yeah. air. Holy mother. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it gets, it gets you going. It's, it's truly, it's, there is, there is a uniqueness there. And I love, I love mule deer hunting and, and everything else. And I've hunted antelope before, but it's that, it's that ability that we have to interact with the elk, you know, because we're trying to speak their language and that's hard to do in a lot of other big game hunts where you can really get that, you know, intimate with an animal trying to call it and engage. You're really engaging in, in, in their language, trying to, you know, f- fool them, trick them to come in and compete with you or it, it it's, it's just really unique. Yeah. It's <laughs> again, I, I'm always at a loss for words, man. I got a problem. So, um, but talking, <clears throat> excuse me, you talked about the pretty maiden, um, and, and, you know, it sounds like that's been in the elk woods with you most of the time. So why don't we just jump into Flexmark, man, and give us the background and how that came about. Uh, in my opinion, yeah. you're filling a, a gap there from what I know about it. So give us some, uh, give us some background on that. Yeah. So it's funny in 2015, when I picked up that bow, you know, an archery season approaches that same fall, I needed some equipment and I have, I haven't been making these calls all that long in 2015. I wasn't because I needed calls at the time. And again, I told you I'm always on a budget and I can't afford expensive camo and I'm making these calls out of my basement. Um, I'm an average guy on an average income and I needed some calls and I start, you know, trolling eBay for an inexpensive cow call that I could pick up. And I come across these calls of Flexmark elk calls and I bought a couple and that was what we took with us <clears throat> into, uh, into our unit in 2015. And that's what we called a couple bulls in on, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, was this pretty maiden elk call. It wasn't called the pretty maiden at the time. That's something that I came up with later. Um, and I've been using those ever since. Uh, ever since 2015 
And I got to know the guy and I got his phone number. He was out of Boise, Idaho, who was, who was making these calls. His, his, his name is Mark. He was out of Boise, Idaho. <clears throat> he was hand making all these calls. Sorry, guy. I got a, I got a frog in my throat here. I no grab a sip. Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> so anyway, for the last couple of years, I'm interacting with Mark and, you know, I've told him all about the experience that I had with his calls in the field. And I start joking with him a couple of years ago via via cell phone and text messages that you know maybe he's gonna maybe he's going to one day deliver this process to me. Maybe I'll be the one that's making these calls for people and creating these amazing experiences for hunters. And so we joke about that. You know, he would text back, "Oh yeah, ha ha ha," you know, wink wink. Yeah, sounds great, but never really serious about it. But this last December he just got so busy with, you know, he was creating a 160 acre firing range out in Boise, Idaho, real, real nice range. And, you know, he's very busy with his work. Um, he has a firearms training business as well. And is in federal law enforcement. He, it was just time. And I talked to him and he said, yeah, I think I'm ready. So I actually purchased the business from him and I've just been trying to take it to the next level make a few little improvements as, as I can, um, but just try to master the call and the sound and the tone. And, and it really is unique if you've ever heard it. Um, and, and I don't know what it is, but there's something, it's just realistic. It's, I like to think that it's one of the most authentic cow elk sounds on the market. And he's been, you know, Mark, he, he's been using these calls actually since the mid 80s. Um, the first prototypes were made by a guy who used to work out at the INL, um, which if you're out here, it's Idaho national laboratories, the site, they call it anyway, a guy who worked in custodial and maintenance was just tinkering around and he came up with this prototype out there and him and Mark, they started using these calls out here in Eastern Idaho and calling in bulls hand over fist. And, uh, he eventually ran out of these prototypes in the year 2000 and he said well i'm gonna make some more and he threw a few on ebay in the year 2000 and they started selling and he you know he was making them ever since so that's kind of i mean that's kind of the history of the Flexmark elk call and i'm trying to you know continue that legacy um based you know i'm based right out here of eastern idaho in my basement you know and making every one of these calls for hunters. And it is the most awesome thing. And I, and again, I have, I have some calls here. We can make some of those sounds if you want, but. Oh, absolutely. Okay. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's hear it. Let's let everybody hear it. I mean, it's going to be a little different, you know, indoors and, and, you know, through cell connection and recording, but yeah, it, it should give us the gist. Yeah, I know. I was listening to it just last night as, you know, Mark Batiste from Elk Call Academy was talking a little bit about these calls on his uh, on his uh, Wapiti Wednesday, by the way, that's a great, great show you guys put together there on Wapiti Wednesday. But so here's just a little flavor of what you can do with this Flexmark elk call. Hopefully, this comes through well. Anyway, I mean, that's just, that's, it's, it's amazing. 
Yeah, and, that's, uh, that sounded really good. Even through even through the connection, <laughs> it sounded really good. I, I hope so. I mean, it, it really does blow your mind. And it was so fun to start getting pictures, um, seeing things from the past that people, you know, sending pictures in of the bulls that they've shot and the elk that they've harvested. And I've gotten, I've gotten so many compliments through, you know, through my Instagram account, through email, through text message and Facebook about how amazing these calls are when people actually get them in the mail and try them out. Because like you said, they are, they're either new or they're frustrated or they don't know how to, they don't know how to call. And, and I am not exaggerating when I say that within one minute, you, you can, you can do that if not sooner. I mean, it's that it's easy. It's a bite and blow call. It's durable. It's rugged. It's handmade by me. I make every single one. I do not want to turn this over to anybody else because I hand make, I hand test, I double check. And I really try to provide a quality and the most authentic, and maybe it's not, but one of the most authentic cow elk calls on the market. And it's just been, it's just been a blast. And it really does fill a gap, right? Because not everybody can use a diaphragm. And for me, the open read, I don't know why, man, uh, they drive me crazy. Well, part of it is the daggum read when it, when it vibrates and you're blowing on it, um, drives me crazy, man. It tickles my lips so bad, um, that I can't, <laughs> I just absolutely can't use them. Um, yeah. Well, so, and it's not just that either. I mean, so for example, let me ask you, have you ever put a diaphragm call in your mouth that you couldn't get to fit right? Oh yeah. And I have too. And and I'm getting better at diaphragm calls, right? I, I, I love some of Rocky Mountain elk hunting calls. And um, that's what I was using partially last year in combination with mine. But I'm, you know, I'm a guy that believes that you should have, you know, as big a repertoire as you can, especially when you're on public, public land, you know, it's late season, they've been called to death. And it's nice to be able to have a different sound than the next guy's making with his diaphragm call. And for me, some of those diaphragm calls I've purchased, you know, they have that hard palate type um, dome shape on them that kind of fits in the palate of your mouth. Well, I can't make it out. I cannot make a quality sound out of those calls. My mouth is not right um, for that kind of a thing. So it's good. It's good for, for somebody like that. It's good for somebody who is, is a beginner and doesn't know how to use those uh, diaphragm calls yet or those read calls. Um, it's good for veterans who, again, you know, they want to diversify the sounds that they're making or they, or they just really want to knock out authentic sounding um, call sound. There's also guys who are, you know, and Mark or Michael was talking about this last night. They have an allergic, an allergy right. to like latex. latex. So, I mean, it's not, there's a ton of reasons why you would want to use our call, whether it's bad fit in your mouth or you just can't get comfortable with it. Or for example, I don't know if, have you ever honestly guy been on the mountain and you don't, don't lie to me, you be honest one way or the other, but have you ever been on the mountain and it's in the moment and you've got to make that cow elk sound, you're trying to stop a bull or you're trying to call one in. And this happened to me last year. And, and I go and I, I'm on the mountain. I've been hiking all day long. I probably hadn't packed enough water as I should. I've got dry mouth. You know, I'm chapped. And I'm sitting here trying to make a cow call with this diaphragm call in my mouth. And I'm squeaking out these sort of dim wits, 
somewhat sounding cow elk sounds. And my buddy looks at me and I'm like, <laughs> no, I kind of throw my hands up in the air. I'm like, dude, I don't know what's going on. Well, I know exactly what's going on. It's hard. To, it's sometimes it's hard to make those sounds when, when you, when your mouth is dry and it's, it's not liquidated in there. It, 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 it's tough. So these Flexmark pre-maidens, I mean, they work no matter what, whether your mouth is wet, dry, in the cold or the heat. I mean, it really just doesn't matter. They're durable, rugged. They always work. And so in the heat of the moment, when your blood's pumping and you need to make that nice sound to be as convincing as possible, it's just sometimes flat out hard to do with a diaphragm. Absolutely. I mean, I've done it. I do it all the time, you know, just, you know, whether it's out in the field or practicing, you know, driving my wife crazy here at home. Um, <laughs> you, you always get that one or two that you're like, Oh man, that was horrible. Glad I wasn't hunting. And then one right. of the things with the flex mark that stands out to me is it's, is its size, right? So, um, you know, you got an open read, um, if you want those different tones and different pitches, um, the size of the flex mark is, is phenomenal. I mean, I can, for me, I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, I can clip that to my bino harness, pull that up in my mouth, um, be at draw. And then when it's time to anchor, I could just drop it out. It's not going to make a bunch of noise. It's just going to, you know, flop back down the four or five inches to the bino harness and then I can anchor up and go. Yeah. And I have, uh, you know, I think I have one of those type of videos on my website where I show people, I mean, to, to make the sounds that I was making before, right. I mean, I'm doing that with a hand over it, but again, you can also use these with, with, without hands. Right. And like you said, you spit that thing out of your mouth when it's time to take the shot and you're good to go. So this is a hands-free. So, I mean, you can, even hands-free, I mean, you can still make the really quality sounds. And the, the thing that's really cool about them is, and it's kind of half art, half science, right? Um, because you make them all by hand and I don't have, it's not like precision machine tools or anything like that, but you know, there's, there's tension, there's bands, there's, there's heat, there's plastic, there's all kinds of things. And every call seems to have a sweet spot or a couple sweet spots where it sounds the best. And with most of these calls, and I say most because every once in a while, you know, I might make one where it's harder to get like the calf sound, but on most of these calls, you know, you can get a nice cow, mature cow sound, but either the farther back on that call that you bite and blow, and that's what this is, it's just a, literally a, a bite and blow call, um, you, can, you can get those higher pitched calf sounds as well as the mature sounds. And you heard, you heard some of that. And it's just a matter of either one, how much air you're putting through with your diaphragm or where you're biting on the call. The further back Typically, on most of these calls, the further back you go, you can make a little higher tone. And so you really can sound like, you know, various types of elk and cows without having to switch up calls, which is kind of cool. So I like to do, I don't know if you have any more calls there outside of the uh, Pretty Maiden, but blow on that thing again. I got a couple don't. of diaphragms here and, uh, and I got to open, I'm going to try the open read, man. <laughs> I might start no, laughing. Would, yeah, let's. I would love to hear that and for your for your listeners to hear them side by side like this would be kind of interesting. Yeah, so 
go ahead and, and go ahead and blow on the pretty maiden and then i'll uh i'm gonna get this uh this diaphragm lubed up here while you do that okay sounds good Is that a good sampling? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, because I'm not going to say what, what diaphragm this is, but I'm going to go. So that's a diaphragm. And you can hear, I mean, the difference, at least in my headphones, is I can hear, I'm going to call it the blank air going past the diaphragm, which I'm not hearing from the flex market that, at this point. And then here's a, I'm going to do my best. All right, people will probably laugh at me, but I might uh, <laughs> I might start laughing when I do these dang open reads, man. <clears throat> so that's an open read. So I had sort of the same problem with an open read. I, the other call I bought my first year in 2015, I think they call it, and, and I don't mind naming it if, I, if, if you don't mind. No, it was, go for uh, it. Go for it. I think it was called the Little Jewel or something. And it had an open read, but it had that um, like that silicone plastic cone that sort of came out over the read. And and sometimes I could get really good sounds out of it, but other times I just wasn't doing it right. It was kind of a little bit harder to master. And so, yeah. But to, there's there's something about the FlexSmart tone to where you, some of the diaphragm calls that you get, they have sort of that kind of a, a, a unique resonance that's kind of cool, but kind of doesn't seem as maybe I don't know I don't know every elk is different too in the sounds that they make right, right. but with the calls that the pretty with the sound that the pretty maiden makes it just to me with the elk that I've heard out hunting it it just seems really authentic and I that's something I appreciate but again I will take both with me in the field for right. sure absolutely um and I think from what I'm hearing, I like the consistency um, of being able to bite down and, and, you know, the bite pressure is easy to figure out, right? If you're, you know, a lot of predator calls you have to bite on. Um, you're right. So, you know, to get that consistency and that's the, one of the issues I have with the open read is I'm not very consistent with it. I'll even roll the band up, you know, and put my lip to the band. Um, so I'm, I'm there at the same point. Um, I don't know. I thought they, I thought the open reads were going to be easier to use. Uh, but I feel like they kicked my butt a little bit. Yeah. That was my experience with that little jewel call. Um, that little jewel cow call is I couldn't, I couldn't be consistent with it. I had some pretty good sounds out of it, but I could not be consistent with it. And that's a, that's a big deal. And then, like you said, right, every elk sounds different. So, you know, you, you had said it earlier, right. The, 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 um, the horrible bugle, well, is there, is there a horrible bugle, right? Well, I shouldn't say is there, but I, I'm, I've heard some and it's like, whoa, buddy, you need to practice. Um, <laughs> like the, the punk elk of the mountain, if you will. Um, but I think to a point that some of that inconsistency isn't bad because, you, like you said, not every elk sounds the same. Um, and I think it's our ear that's wanting to hear this perfection. Um, but for me, I just want to be consistent. Yeah. And I could not agree with you more. So even if you can't be consistent, 
there's something, I mean, you see guys be successful all the time. Um, you know, I've watched plenty of elk hunting videos and seen guys making horrible, horrible, you know, make your ears curl and your insides turn outside cow calls. And yet the bull comes in, you know, and, and it blows your mind sometimes, but you know, yeah, I'm with you. I want to be consistent, but that's the kind of the redeeming factor of, of archery hunting too is, I mean, you can stereotype animals all you want to, and hunters can have their set in stone opinions about this and that, you know, and maybe you can stereotype about 70% of animals or whatnot, say, yeah, he's going to do this, or he's going to do that, or he'll respond to this, or if he does this, I'm going to do that. But frankly, there's so much guesswork in it, at least in my opinion, guys, my from my experience and it's like calling coyotes right you think they're going to do one thing and they do something totally you think different they're going to come from one direction and all of a sudden one comes from the other side you know where in a place he shouldn't have been and that happens all the time and i think it happens just as often with our big game hunting whether it's elk mule deer whatever but animals to some extent are just always going to be predictable right Try predicting what a what a teenager or what a twenty year old might do in given situations, and, and it's going to be so different based on who they are and the experience had. And I think animals are a lot similar to that. So even though we think, oh, I haven't perfected my bugle yet, or I haven't perfected my cow call, you know, the most important thing that we're doing is that we're out there and that you're in the elk. And if you're doing that, you know, and you'll you're find learning. I mean, even goes- if you can't make the best calls yeah i mean it just goes to that that learning experience and taking all those lessons previous or those videos or you know podcasts or whatever you're using out there and and really adapting and overcoming on the fly and that yeah goes back to that whole conversation earlier about the draw of it if it was people say it all the time oh if it was easy you know everyone would do it well my response to that is if it was easy i probably wouldn't do it Right. That that immediate adaptation that you have to respond to what they're doing. That's the part of it that just keeps me plugging, man. Yeah. Yep. I love it. But that yeah, that call sounds uh, that call sounds really, really good. I mean, just like I said, the consistency for me every time, you know, you blew it. it, It's just it's like, okay, you're right back to the same spot. You don't, I didn't hear any hiss. It was just nice, clean sound. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to keep secret, you know? <laughs> uh, I use, I, I've been calling it the the best and most off, off <laughs> my tang's all tangled up guy, but I've been, call, you know, I've been referring to it as the best and most authentic cow call you've never heard of. But honestly, it's getting hard to maintain that reputation. And that's a great thing for me. And it's a great thing for, for hunters. Um, you know, I honestly, I had to cut, I'm a 40 hour a week guy. I work. This is, this is a hobby for me. I'm sure I'd love it to go somewhere, you know, bigger than this, you know, and, and maybe with the steps I'm taking, we'll, we'll get there. Right. Um, but it's, 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 it's a hobby. And I, for example, I had to cut, I had to come home early from work today and take a little vacation time because I had 15 orders stacked up and it took me, it took me two hours just to get them all arranged and, and ready to go. And, you know, obviously I had to be, I wanted to be at your podcast desperately. So, um, but it's not as easy to keep a secret, 
these days, which is great. And again, it's great for me. It's great for hunters. Social media has, has been huge. Instagram and Facebook, people are, people are seeing it. They're hearing it. Other people are talking about it. And I think word spreading and hopefully I don't find myself, you know, buried till midnight every single day the rest of the month. But, I, you know, I would like to get out and hunt and, and scout. And so. <laughs> so that, you know, that's funny that you bring that up, right? Because that's kind of the trade off. And, you right. know, you, you and that's one of the reasons I do the, the Tap Tuesday episodes. And I think it's important that we support, like I told you before, you know, the homegrown, you know, no offense to anyone, mom and pop businesses, right? That's huge for me. Um, yeah. But there's a trade off that comes with it. Free time scouting time time in the woods so trying to find that balance as it grows um through your hunting season man good luck <laughs> <laughs> well there's I, I guess i can't make any promises but there's one thing that i just i just don't want to do and i don't want to turn i don't know there's some there, there's an allure to a handmade american-made call that, and people, especially in this industry and the kind of people that enjoy hunting, you know, they're, they're, they're patriotic. They want to support American. They want to support small business. Um, and there's something about that allure of a handmade product that somebody went through step by step and made this for you, sent it and put it in my mailbox, my personal mailbox, when I don't have enough you know, sometimes I have too many. They don't fit in my mailbox. So I don't have to go to the post office. But something that I made with my hands stuffed in my mailbox and ended up in your mailbox that was handmade. And you're going out and creating memories that you'll never for, that you will never forget based on something that I helped you do and this product that I was able to make. And there's it's so amazing. It's so satisfying about that. And I never I never want to turn that over to to somebody else. And so. We'll see. We'll see what happens. That's a, you know, I, I've never had anybody say that in those words. That's powerful, man. Um, you know, you, you become, you become part of that story in your, in your small way. Right. And that yeah. is phenomenal when you start thinking about like when I talk to folks on the podcast, man, and you, you get that interaction and you're hearing these stories and they just, you know, they become landlocked, if you will, you know, in this little spot of my mind for all these hunting stories and, you know, small businesses, man. So that's uh yeah, that's freaking awesome. Yeah, that's it's what it's it's what makes you want to stay up till midnight, finishing those last calls and bagging up everything, making sure everyone was tuned and, and, and sounds great. You know, and hopefully I haven't made too many mistakes out there. If there's anybody that's got one and you know, it didn't sound quite right or broke. Gosh, reach out to me on Instagram. I make it right for you. And that's, and that you hear that a lot, right? Um, customer service, you know, oh, it's the greatest product in the world. The customer service stinks. Uh, I'm, I'm done with it. I don't want to use it. I got a buddy right now that's ditching a backpack because the customer service stinks and you know how much those backpacks cost. Yep. That's one of the things I don't skimp on these days. I used to. But it's funny, the older you get um, and the more experience that you get, and hopefully a little bit as the years go on, the more money that you make. But I, tr you know, sometimes some, in some places I have, I have to be on the budget. But this year and last year, my boots and my pack were one of those things that I said, can't, I, I can't do it. I can't be on a budget. I need a quality set of boots to get me where I need to go to get into the elk. 
and I need a quality pack. It's not going to break down on me. So I, I totally hear you there. That those are the, those are two, in my opinion, that's probably the, the top two as far as making or break that deal. Mm-hmm. Your feet and like you said, I don't want to date us or anything, but your feet and that back, man, when that that backpack doesn't carry that that quarter right um, and then, you know, multiple loads. Oh, man, you don't have good good weight transfer, a good suspension system. All bets are yeah. off. You start to feel oh, yeah. everything. And I'm, I'm 41 now, so I'm feeling it on the mountain, you know, and the guy I hunt with traditionally, he's about 10 years younger than I am. So good equipment is is paramount oh man where, where you can spend the money you know do it so we talked you talked about boots and i'm a i have my opinion on on complaints about boots so i'm gonna just bring it up so i'm a big i'm a big sock guy like i won't complain about a boot if i'm wearing you know, my twelve ninety nine got it at Target, you know, champion socks in the woods hiking, you know, five, six miles. What's your yeah. opinion on the uh <clears throat> excuse me, on the on the sock there? I don't know. That's kind of an interesting question. I don't really consider myself a sock expert. Uh although I have to say my wife got me a Cabela's gift card uh for my birthday in December. And I actually went out and 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 bought like this twelve dollar pair of socks which I have never, ever done before. Um, you know, typically I'm just buying whatever is in the biggest, right? <laughs> you know, the big yeah. pack that's yeah. wool or wool-based, merino wool. Um, but again, that's an area where I'm growing. And so this year I went out for the first time and bought an expensive pair of socks. So, I mean, I think that uh, they're worth it if you, you know, if your other imperative equipment is also in good shape. Right. Yeah. Cause I think, but, I mean, like, by no way, you sound like the sock expert guy. No, I'm not a sock expert. I, what I'm an expert on is my feet hurting like a SOB because I yeah. wore a cheap pair of socks or, you know, you got one, uh, a cheapy pair and they're wearing out on you after a couple of days or the, the toe seam is blistering you up and, um, it drives me crazy. So, you know, my feet are so sensitive. Um, I, I, you know, put a pair of boots on and it's like, well, if I'm buying a pair of boots that cost me $200, you know, $400, I can't complain about them if I'm putting on, you know, my, like I said, a six ninety nine twelve pack, um, you know, <laughs> of, of Hanes or champion socks or something. It just, right. it's funny. It's funny when we, you know, we focus on these big purchase items and, um, and then we skimp on, and I don't know if people pay attention to it. Maybe I'm just quirky that way. Um, but yeah, the sock thing drives me crazy, man. It's uh, it's a little bit of a quirk, but I tell you what, you put a good pair of socks on and a good pair of boots and I, you can go yeah. and go and go and go. Yeah. I've really felt, I've really felt that this year. And I looked at all kinds of boots, you know, I, I looked at the Krispies. I looked at Zamberlin's traditionally I'd always gone to Cabela's, you know, and I just buy a Cabela's brand. It's got a lifetime warranty, but I would wear them out in two seasons and I took a set, took a set back and they replaced them happily. But I just I start to feel bad about doing that. Cause I'm just beating these boots in the areas I go hunting and scouting. And so I, I, I've actually bought a pair of Zamberlin GTX. I think they're GTX hunting boots and the soles are so nice. And, and there's just that stiffness and rigidity there. And when side hilling or coming down the mountain with a load now, I mean, my feet don't hardly, there's so much more security there 
that I've never, that I've never had never felt before, before this year. And I'm 41 now. Um, and it, it blew my mind and I got these boots again. I'm, I'm always on a budget. So, I mean, I went to camofire.com. I kind of like camofire.com and got these Zamberlin boots for 138 bucks. And so, yeah, a decision that I will never regret. That's a, that's a really, you camo fire is crazy, man. Some of the stuff that they, uh, some of the discounts on there are like, I don't need it, but can I pass it up for 60% off? I've been eyeballing that thing for two years and now I see it. <laughs> I know, right? I bought a couple $35, uh, $35 trail cams out there this year. Jeez. Uh, yeah, camo fire. And I put them up. They're three miles into the back country. And I actually bought a tree stand. Now that one, that one was not from Camel Fire, but I'm telling you guys, I put out the most epic tree stand and I have never hunted from a tree stand before. Uh, but I put up an epic one at the bait at the back of this basin, three miles into the back country of Eastern Idaho or central Idaho, I guess it is. Um, it, it's sort of, it's, we got this tree that's sort of on, it's not a cliff, but it's, it starts to become a steep grade downhill. And there's a wallow at the bottom. And uh, so I put up this my first ever tree stand uh, about a month ago and some trail cams. And I've got a camera on the uh, on the wallow and a few up on some trails. Anyway, it is it is epic. It looks like you're staring off across the world and the view from up here is just unbelievable. It's about it's about a probably a 40, 45 yard shot. I didn't have my range finder. Um, 40, 45, 50 yards to the wallow. So it's going to be kind of a big shot. I don't even know if I'll be able to use the tree stand this year. I've never hunted elk that way. But again, I'm always the guy that would like to try new things. And I beat myself so hard all day long, every day. That sometimes that gets really discouraging. So I set up that tree stand to maybe give me a break one afternoon or an evening where I want to just relax a little bit. But man, it is epic. Yeah, that's interesting. Sorry, that's going off on a tangent. Oh no, not at all. I, I love it, man, because it, you know I we have the as as Western hunters, right? We we kind of squawk at the the whole tree stand hunter thing, and it's been something that's intriguing me. The problem I have, man, is I, dude, I I hate heights. Um, you know, you could put me on a ridge with a you know two hundred foot sheer drop. As long as my boots are on the ground, I'm okay. Um, yeah. you tell me to get up in a tree stand, you know, 20, 30 feet, I'm looking at you like you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel a little silly myself. I mean, I'm, again, I'm 41 and I'm up Jimmy in this tree stand at 41 up 15, 20 feet in the air on this big old pine tree. And I felt a little bit like, you know, Willis, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> there has to, I mean, you, you got to figure, <clears throat> excuse me. With all the guys hunting stands, and there's a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's quite a few Western guys that that hunt stands. Um, you yeah. Know, over Wallow or, you know, whatever it is. Um, there has to be something to it, man. There's a whole lot of people that do it. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll find out this year. Maybe you'll have me back next year. <laughs> so anything else, uh, anything else on Flexmark, man? No, I just, it's, it's exciting. You know, I've got 15 orders going out tomorrow and I got them all in a big box. I posted it on my Instagram at Flexmark Elk Calls tonight. It's just a big blessing that I never anticipated would be this big. And, and again, it's not like I'm going to quit my day job yet, but this is, it's been really good for me and my family to get ourselves in, in a good position and 
and we're working hard. You know, I, uh, I am, I'm, I'm working really hard at making an amazing call for, for hunters of all varieties and ages and shapes and sizes. And I just hope that I can continue to do that and that people will continue to find us. And I hope I do get busy enough to where I have to make some decisions. Cause that would be a good thing for, for, for hunters again, and for me. And, uh, but no, it's gratifying. I've had four or five more come in since I arranged all those 15, you know, so I got four more to do. So, but no, it's, uh, it's durable. It's versatile. Uh, gosh, you know, I don't know. If you don't mind, talk about the price point on them a little bit. Cause they're, they're oh. pretty inexpensive in comparison. To other yeah. Calls. I mean, they're not, they're not like the least expensive. They're also not the most expensive. I mean, I don't, for, frankly, I don't sell them in a one, in a one call option anymore. I tried it for the first month and nobody was buying the one call option. Anybody who wanted to buy buying at least two. So I eliminated the one call option, but a two pack you can buy for 22 bucks plus three fifty in shipping. So you get two really quality calls that will probably last a hunting season or two. Um, I know that the one, uh, Michael Batiste is using. I know he had, I think that same call last year I saw him with as well. And so they are pretty durable. I mean, they'll eventually wear out and especially, especially you use them over and over again. I mean, they might wear out faster, but, um, the price point it's 22 bucks for a two pack. What is it? It's a 30 for a three pack, I think. And I sell them by a five pack or a 10 pack. Um, so they're not the most expensive for sure. They're not the least expensive. You know, I've seen a lot of diaphragm calls out there for, you know, seven, eight, nine dollars. And but I think we're right in the mix. And and again, it's that allure, hopefully, of me sitting down working hard for people, hand making a product that just sounds flat out amazing. The other thing, I don't know if you want me to go into this, but man, the other thing that's been really amazing, I've been selling a ton of calls um, for sandbar deer hunters out there, um, in, in, in the islands and in Australia, it's been, it's been crazy. And there's a, you know, for example, in, in the Island of Guam, there's a, what they call a sandbar deer out there. Have you ever heard of a sandbar deer? So, you know, it's a, it's a relative of the brown deer or the Philippine Filipino deer. And about December of last year, had a couple orders coming in from Guam. And then it, it continues, you know, as a territory of the United States, the shipping is the same. And so it was just fine to ship out there. And I'm telling you, I think every hunter out there in Guam has one of my calls now. And they're, you know, they, they don't buy the two packs. They buy the three and the five packs. And they share them amongst their friends. And they're, they're out there hunting for their families. And it's really a cool thing to watch and to see the way they talk about hunting and harvesting an animal and feeding their families. And, and now it's, it's taken off in Australia, which is really cool. The sandbar stags out there, they're bigger. They're, they're almost elk like if you've seen them, they're a lot bigger than the sandbar out in the, you know, like in the islands of Asia and the Mariana islands. But it's been crazy because my sound, I, I altered it a little bit, did a couple things differently and shortened it as well. And, and it, it's bringing, I mean, they're hunting is, for example, in the islands in these thick jungles, but this call this the sand, I call it the sandbar deer call. It's, it's similar to the elk call, but it's got a lighter, softer tone. I mean, it's bringing them out of the jungle sometimes on a run 
for hunters or sometimes just enough out of the jungle that they can get a shot on one. And it's, it's been pretty cool to watch what, what these islands and what Australia are doing right now. So it'll be interesting if that continues. I haven't heard any reports from Australian hunters of success, but yet I'm still getting orders. I got another five pack going out tomorrow to Australia. That, uh, yeah. that's not something you hear every day talking about elk calls. Yeah. Right. So good deal, man. Um, yeah, I can't wait to get, uh, get biting down on one. So what's your, uh, what's the 2019 season looking like for you? Well, I got my five trail cams up, which is more than I've ever done before. I, tri- I mean, frankly, last year was the first year I had ever done any trail cams, but I found you talk about having an elk addiction. It's re- it is really fun to go out and put something on a tree or a rock or wherever it is that you want to put your trail cam. It is really fun to go back and check that trail camera and see what you have on there. There's that mystery, right? Of what am I going to see? Is it going to be moose, mule deer, bucks, cows, elk, bear, coyotes, wolves, wolverines, skunks, whatever. I mean, and it's all there, birds. So it's just, I found it really, really cool. And so I actually will go out uh, this coming Saturday and check my trail cams for the first time. It's been a month since I last checked them. And so I'll go out and check them one last time on Saturday. And hopefully, you know, we've set up a ground blind as well, a makeshift ground blind. And we're just excited. I mean, I, I hunt the same unit every year because I have an emotional attachment to it. Right. And it even got more special last year where I was able to harvest my, my first elk on my, the 15th anniversary of my dad's passing. But so it's something I look forward to every single year. And this year's no different, especially, but I, I am, I have to tell you, I'm feeling the heat now. I'm feeling the pressure. <laughs> I've got to go out. I've got to go out and I'm talking a big game here with these flex mark elk calls, these pretty maidens, but I got to go out and be successful. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel, I feel as much pressure this year as I do, as I did last year, but we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm confident. Uh, I've got I've got enough time off work to to hopefully be successful. And again, like you said, it, the success isn't always in the harvest. It is truly the experience. I know a lot of guys might say that. I really do truly believe it. And when those, you know, sort of to take this thing full circle, those those years where I hadn't been successful, and I was just down in the dumps, you know, swore off the bow, thought that I'd just pick up the rifle for the rest of my life, and. I get back to this thought and this feeling inside that you just can't help but start scheming and getting excited about the next <laughs> So that's where I'm at. I've been waiting. I'm anticipating. I'm like a little kid on Christmas. I It's hard to sleep sometimes, especially when it gets really close and you start thinking about all the things you got to do, the gear prep. And for me, that's half the fun. It's the strategizing. It's the trail cams. It's the talk with your buddies. It's these podcasts, you know, and by the way, you have a phenomenal podcast. Thank you. Yours was the first one that I had ever listened to just a couple days ago after you called me. I listened to one of those recent ones that you had on there from uh, Mark Batiste, uh, Michael Batiste, and it just blew my mind. And you just don't realize what an average hunter you are (laughs) until you hear someone like him talk about elk hunting and about elk and it was your your podcast is phenomenal man i just love what you're doing out there spotlighting you know your small businesses your mom and pops the people who are really in it for the experience and uh 
I just appreciate the opportunity to come on. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I, I, uh, like I said, I was intrigued and, you know, watched some of the YouTube and seen it on, uh, on Instagram. And I was like, man, I got to know about this thing. And it, like I said before, it fills a gap, right? Not everybody's blowing a diaphragm, you know, perfectly, whatever that is. Uh, the open reads for me drive me crazy. And then the, the ease of use, like I said, you know, to be at draw and to be able to blow on that thing, drop it and not worry about it. Um, that's a big deal. So yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, for guys who who where they find that the flex mark is is the best option for them as like a primary call, it's it's great because I was just looking at the for example Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls website, and they've got really quality bugles these days with different um, diaphragms and reeds and mouthpieces to where you don't even need a mouth diaphragm to actually to make a pretty darn good bugle. And so, yeah, there's options even if you for bugling if you if you want to carry the pretty maiden around, but also have the ability to bugle. They're they're, they're out there. Yeah, the market the uh, the market definitely lends itself if we pay attention to it, right? Because it's not something that's stand out. Because it's there's the standards yeah. we will say, right? There's the standards, and and we always lean towards those standards. But as we start to you know realize that uh, we stink. <laughs> we need to look for those <laughs> options. So it's great to it's definitely great to have them, man. Definitely great to have them. Amen, brother. So uh talked about it before. So my conservation quick, man. Um it's not, you know, like I said, not to put anybody on the spot. It's just to get whatever insight you have into conservation. Um, you know, be it twenty seconds, thirty seconds, a minute. So give us your your conservation quick and, and what you think about it. And, and again, remind what well, remind me, guy, what your definition of conservation would be. Well, outside of the outside of the dictionary definition of conservation, um, one yeah. of the things that's most important to me uh, when we talk about it, and, and and there's a couple of things that might sound cliche, but it is the future of what we love to do and passing that down to our kids. Um, yeah. and then opening that door for people that have not been exposed yet. Um, and then here's the cliche, the pack it in, pack it out, right? Whatever we're doing, uh, while we're out there, if we're taking it in, we're bringing it back out and then affecting, I don't know the word I'm looking for, affecting the change in if we see yeah. it because someone else left it, make it a point to grab yeah. that and bring it out. Yeah. And so, I mean, it is always disappointing. You see, you know, some three musketeers, <laughs> candy bar wrapper up on the mountain where you hope that things could be a little pristine where you're, you know, closer to God and closer to, you know, just the experience of nature where, where man doesn't typically walk and you see, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But I, as far as conservation, what I'm thinking in my mind right now, what's important to me and what maybe what I'd like to get a little bit more involved in in the future is I think not enough of the, the hunting experience is geared towards today's youth. And I mentioned this previously, you know, and if you look, it it's an expensive sport, right? It's an expensive experience, not just a sport. It's an expensive experience. And as a middle-aged person, and if I can't go out and afford half the camouflage out on the out on the racks at Sportsman's Warehouse or Cabela's or pick your other, you know, camouflage company, I'm not sure how we're gonna get today's youth involved in it either. And that's why as horrible as this might sound to some people, but I say it proudly. That's why I'm, I'm just really grateful for places like Walmart 
where even I last year, my camouflage, and maybe this can change in the future as I continue to do a little bit better for myself, hopefully. And, you know, and you decide to spend that money and make the sacrifice on better equipment. But my camouflage came from Walmart last year, you know, it was a $7 and 88 cent shirt. And I think my conservation is I'd love to get more youth involved, but sometimes you look at the cost of, of doing some of these and, and kind of outfitting somebody for the experience. If you do it by the standards of, of companies, I mean, that's, that's pretty hard to do. So that's why I am grateful for, you know, discount places and places like Camel Fire or whatnot, where you can get quality items at a discount. Cause I, you know, again, I really do hope and believe that we can get, today's youth into experiences like hunting. I know my three-year-old girl, she talks about hunting bear and elk with me all the time. And she doesn't even really know what that means yet, but she will soon because there'll be a bow in her hands pretty soon. (laughs) But that's my idea of conservation guys, just getting, preserving what we have and getting the youth involved. I mean, you look at any industry, um, the key for a successful future of that industry is to capture the young people. Bad or good industries are alike, right? Good and bad um, habits or whatever else. It's capturing the young people that matters. And if we want this to continue and have want to have something to pass down, we've got to have kids that are interested in it and having items that are quality to help them get started that don't cost an arm and a leg, I think is one of those steps that, we could do better at Heck yeah that's awesome man that's perfect so uh anything in closing how do how do folks get a hold of you um because they're going to want that flex mark and so drop the instagram the facebook the web any any of that stuff you got and any yeah, closing statements super, i say we you know i'm always this i'm, I'm this little fish right I, I am the littlest fish but i'm trying to act like a big fish i guess you could say <laughs> Uh, with the load that I'm taking on and, you know, and I say we all the time. And when I say we, I mean me, <laughs> but we've got, we're, we're very active on social media. We've got a Facebook page at uh, Flexmark Elk Calls. Um, we've got an Instagram account at Flexmark Elk Call or gosh, what is my Instagram handle? I use it like every single day and now I can't even think of it. <laughs> oh, I thought it might be Flexmark Outdoors for a minute, but uh Oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. Anyway, you just look us up at Flexmark Elk Calls. Um, our email address, if you want to drop us an email, is flexmarkoutdoors at gmail.com. We've even got a Twitter at Flexmark, Flexmark Outdoors, but not not super active on Twitter. I haven't found that that's a great place to be active on. No, we're, we're very active, super responsive to social media and uh, email requests. So drop us a line, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Good deal. Any closing statements? Anything we missed? No, let's all go out and uh, let's have that experience this year. And whether that brings success, utter failure, or anything in between, let's just go out and enjoy it. Bring a friend, bring a buddy. Or if, if you're you, guy, go out alone and you have that experience with yourself and you, you know, you go out it alone and, and, and get and hope you just get what you're seeking. That's what it's about. It's the memory. Absolutely about the, so we the just memory. Support, I just thank everybody for all their support too on, on these flex markout calls. It's been truly phenomenal. And 
me and my family are just blown away. So we're, we're just super excited and just thank you, everybody. And thank you for having us on. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. And um, like I said, we can't wait to get biting down on one of the flex marks in the elk woods this year, man. And you guys, good, you know, good luck to you up there in Idaho. And uh, yeah, we'll be talking to you, bud. Okay, guy, you take care and have a good night. You too. Thank you. You can catch up with Mark and Flexmark Elk Calls on Instagram at Flexmark Elk Calls and head over to FlexmarkElkCall.com for the full line of products. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. Hey everyone, this is Andrew with Sasquatch Fuel. If you're heading into the backcountry this season and you need some meals that don't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. Our 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head to SasquatchFuel.com. Hey guys, enter code Western Contours at checkout and save a few bucks off your order.